on RSN 927, the Racing and Sports Rundown. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Racing and Sports Rundown. And this is probably the biggest one that we have done yet. The biggest day of the year, Christmas Day for punters. Some might even call it Golden Eagle Day. But whatever moniker you put on it, it's a day that showcases why we love the sport that they call the great game. Brad Bishop in the hot seat here in Melbourne. And I'll once again be joined by Adam Blinko, who's going to be dissecting the Derby Day card at Flemington. And Simon Dinopoulos is going to pull apart the Rose Hill meeting up there in Sydney. Adam, I'll bring you in first. Your love for the Cox Plate was laid bare last week. You called it Australia's best race. What sort of name do you put on a day like we've got before us today? No, oh, Derby Day is, is special, right up there with Winter Championships Day for mine in, <laughs> in Flemington's pecking order. Um, so, yeah, certainly one of the, the biggest days of the year. It's a little different now with um, Sydney coming to the party, but for those of us who are punting from the office or the couch, it's... Um, They've sort of just picked up two races from Flemington and, and popped them at Rose Hill, and it doesn't make much of a difference. They're just part of the party, I suppose. So, yeah, a, a massive, massive day of racing nationwide. Absolutely. And they're two good races up there. The, the undercard's an interesting one. It's benchmark 78 Central, and then we've got a $10 million race and a $3 million sprint, which is uh, deserving of Group 1's status. Simon, what do you make of the day today? Yeah, love it. You can't beat Derby Day. And as Adam mentioned, not a bad pairing, uh, the two races up in Sydney. So if you can't get excited about today, you need to find another game. Yeah, 100%. Let's get straight into it because we've got plenty to talk about. We'll start with the Derby. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk this week about what a great Derby it is. I think right at the top, it's one of the classiest Derbies we've had for some time. It'd be a surprise if the likes of Sharp and Smart, Barclay Square, Pericles in time, uh, and also Mr. Maestro don't measure up in some sort of capacity down the track. I, I actually don't think that there are that many winning hopes in the race. Uh, how do you guys assess the derby that we've um, got to try and pick apart today? No, I think that's a really good point. I think it is front-end loaded. I think there's, as you say, there's some real talent in here, and the the sort of time form assessment of things points to that. I think it's the, the field has the best average time form rating for the, the last five years, and last year's was actually quite a good derby as well. So it had had a... Um, it had had a lean period, the Derby, and we've seen the, the Derby evolve as a, as a race over the last probably decade. Um, it's moved from being sort of a destination race to ho- hopefully, I think, a, a springboard race now for, for future stars, and we might have a couple here. So I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good Derby, and I, I agree. It's, it's front-loaded there with, with the two at the top in particular. And, and Pericles, I'll throw quickly back to you, Brad, because I know you're a bit of a knock on, on Pericles on the pedigree. And pedigrees are really interesting when you get to, to the derby because we're, we're trying horses over a trip that they're, you know, we haven't seen them over this trip. So we've got to be speculating. And, and pedigrees is one, one place where a few people lean. And it looked good to me for, per, for Berkeley Square. And, and you've got a little knock on Pericles there. Yeah, just uh, like there, there are several races on the calendar where I think it's really important. And this is one of them. We've got the Oaks on Thursday as well because these horses are getting out to this trip for the first time. So it can be a little bit of a pointer. And he's a really interesting one because I know pretty much everyone's giving him a massive chance. And on form, you'd have to say that he is. But if you look at the pedigree page, it's hard to see how he's going to run the 2,500 metres. He's by the sire of Animo. But outside of that, uh, Street Boss's best progeny have been up to 1,600 metres and pretty much sprinters, the likes of um, Elite Street and the quarterback and um, the, the, the Group 1 performers animo aside have pretty much been sprint types and on the dam side he is out of a mare who has been a fantastic producer for Daly and Godolphin accessories who's a British mare and is related to some types who have performed 
over longer ground um, over in the UK. So there's respect from that point of view. But what she's thrown out here, there's been some very good ones. Helmet, uh, epaulette, bull bars, horses that have performed at group one level. But uh, what they haven't done is be, uh, performed beyond 1,600 metres. She's only ever had two starters beyond a mile. They were both helmet. He ran eighth in a Cox Plate and he ran down the track in an 1,800-metre race over in Dubai. So there's got to be question marks there. I, I, I actually really doubt that he's going to be able to do it off pedigree, but also for the fact that it's only his fourth start. And the other thing against him, he's the youngest horse in the race. He wasn't born until December the 4th. So there's still over a month until he actually turns three. So he has been the trainer of the spring, I think, James Cummings. But this might nearly be his best performance if he's able to get Pericles to win the derby. Um, Simon, how have you been looking at it from afar? Because you've got a role to play here because one of the key form references is Sharp and Smart coming out of the spring champion last week. Yeah, the two key, two key form references, the Vars and the spring champion. Just having a look, since 2000, 19 winners of the Vars have run in the derby. Three have won. Uh, the market expected five. Whereas the spring champion, five winners uh, have run in the derby. Two have won and have won more than the market expected. So in terms of making money, uh, the spring champion has been the better option for punters. Uh, but... I do take Adam's point. He touched on on the review show during the week. Uh, Barclay Square's performance in the Vars really stacked up well in comparison to the Cox Plate. So that's my lean in the race. When you're trying to measure it all up, because I did uh, have a listen to the, the preview show, the, the punters preamble that you guys did uh, on Thursday. And Adam, you're making a really good pace for Berkeley Square being a betting option in this race. Yeah, I don't think the history of the spring champion is probably relevant anymore because it's, it's moved dates. So... Um... I'm putting a, a line through any sort of historical trends there. But at Berkeley Square, there is a historical trend, and that is how that vase stacked up against the Cox Plate, which was really favourably, and, and the time was... It was good against against Animo last week. Now, the pace had something to do with that, but he was actually faster home as well, which is um, fairly incredible. And if you go rolling back through the, the times, it's obviously such an easy like-for-like comparison, the vase and, and the Cox Plate always on the same day over the same distance, and, and usually at the same point of the day as well. Um you really only find, I think the one that fits best, and you, you find very few that are, um, where the vases run as close to the Cox Plate or faster than the Cox Plate. There's only a handful of them, and we're talking who be got you efficient lion tamer. Obviously, a couple of derby winners in there, and, and one that it took something out of the bag to, to stop Hubi making it three. And then the race that really fits, I think, as a, as a reference to this year's vase is the Kempink, um, Kempinski and Elvis. Vars back in 2003, they were faster, much, much faster than Fields of Omar that day, and they blew the field away in the Vars 1-2 and then came out the next week and, and Elvis reversed it, but they, they ran 1-2 again and cleared out. So um, I think that Vars is the form. I, I take your knock on Pericles. He did travel like the best horse for a long way there, and I think he is a, a horse learning on the job for a very good trainer, so he's he's very interesting. But um, Barclay Square, to me, looks a fantastic Derby profile, and, and I would think two-something instead of three-something is his price. All right. My little knock on Barclay Square is he's been up for a long, long time, and he's got to get out to the 2,500 metres. Uh, full of respect for him, and, and for that reason, I'm siding with Sharp and Smart. I'm not thrilled that he's only got that week between the spring champion and the derby now. He's got to come down from Sydney, but he's just looked like a stayer in those last two runs. He's a line finder as well. Um sharp and smart so i'm sticking with him he was good to me last week i see no reason to jump off but i'd, I'd love it if we can get those three or four horses that are towards the head of the market to, to clear out like you mentioned in the elvstrom kempinski one and 
make it a race for the ages. Just a quick one on Mr. Maestro. What do we make of his prospects? Uh, accounting for the fact he's also got that wide barrier to overcome. Yeah, that is a, a genuine knock as well because the 2,500 metre start, as you know, Brad, is a um, it's a sticky one there. And I've got ratings-wise, he's got work to do for mine, Mr. Maestro. I think he's a, a little bit behind those two at the top and, and off the trial wins. He's doing a lot right, and his trainer is doing a hell of a lot right at the moment, Andrew Forsman. So huge respect on, on that note. But um, when you've got to make a big ratings leap and then you get a, a bit of a stumbling block put in front of you like that barrier and... Yeah, that, that raises enough questions for me to say he's the one in the market that I can sort of push aside because I want to make Barkley Square a, a good bit shorter than he is. Just on him, going back to the breeding point of things, he's by Savabiel out of a half to Lion Tamer who won this race by six and a half lengths and there's a Melbourne Cup place getter in my blue denim further back on the dam side, so he'll run the trip. Barkley Square's a half to Senor Toba who's been placed in a derby. Fajita Sands, an interesting one, by Morris. Out of a mare called Belle Giselle, who is by Reduce Choice, that is exactly the same cross as Hitotsu last year. Skiffios is by Fiorente, and a little bit further back on the dam side, Fiorente also appears, so there's a little bit of inbreeding there for Skiffios. And uh, Berardino has got Ethereal on the dam side, so there's a few that do have a few pointers to suggest that they're going to run the 2,500 metres right out. At the other end of the scale on... Today's program at Flemington is the race that most uh, probably consider the better three-year-old race of the day. Now, this is the Coolmore. It's only been on the card for a little over 15 years, but it has quickly become one of the highlights of the racing calendar, one of the most significant races from a breeding point of view. We've got a massive field, and we've got a filly at the top of the market. How do we work this race out? Yeah, it's a um, it's another very top-ended race it's a you're right it's the highlight of derby day has been for a while now and takes a stack more winning than the derby does that's for sure and certain this is a um this is a hot race every year and stacks up every year and i think it, it does again and the horses yeah as i said the horses up the front are, are capable of running the the big sort of numbers that mean these sort of these trial winners who are a little bit below buenos notches is going to be interesting because he's got this giga kick form line but i'm convinced that giga, giga kick just exploded at ramwick as opposed to having been that good the whole way through, so I'm, I'm not putting too much credit into that. Grand Impact Economics, they're, they're nice trial winners, but they've got such a leap to take to to get up to where um, where Jack and Owen in secret go. And I, I suppose a, a lot of how you assess the race and, and who you mark fa- favourite out of Jack and Owen and in secret is how much credit you give the you know the win of Jack and Owen over over in secret the other day or the SP of in, in secret in that Golden Rose because that's the probably the the real key form line. And, and I suppose we have to swing it back to our man from Sydney for that one. Yeah, well, looking at the Golden Rose to the Coolmore, Adam, it's clearly uh, been the best form reference going into it. Ten runners for three winners uh, since, obviously, the Golden Rose upgraded to Group 1. Exceedance, Merchant Navy and Nachita all came through the Golden Rose. No horse has done the double. Uh, we've seen Trapeze Artist and In the Congo both go to the Coolmore off the Golden Rose. They ran 15th and 16th in the Coolmore, so... I'd imagine Jackano is going to run a lot better than that. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. I guess a little niggle for Jackano. Mick Price has been sort of on the front foot his whole campaign that he's a better horse on top of the ground. How much are we taking into the track this afternoon? Ah, not much for me. I Brad's the man on the ground, but I um, I will assume that it's going to be you know pretty much a perfect racing surface until proven otherwise. Yeah, well, what I can tell you is we're on a soft seven, and it's uh, Liam O'Keefe this morning said it was borderline between a seven and between an eight, but we've got the nicest day we've had here all week. It's going to be around about eight and nineteen degrees. Um, there's a prospect of some showers later on, uh, which is not ideal. But if they don't arrive, it's going to race as a seven, and 
who knows, if the sun breaks through at some point, we might even get to a six. But I'd be working on that soft seven formula for today. Simon, you were all over um, in secret in the Golden Rose. Uh, I like her because she's come straight from the Golden Rose into this. I'm just a little bit worried about Jack and O um, trying to have a crack at a third grand final for the prep. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard a few people say that, yet they're both fourth up into the grand final. So it, it is an interesting point uh, with Jack and O'Kenny keep fronting up, but I think what we saw last year is running in the Everest is a good thing. Home Affairs obviously came out and put a gap on him in this race. So I don't think it's a negative that he ran in the Everest. Uh, the soft track for me is a little niggle. He obviously ran down in secret on a good track. The last time we've seen a good track in Sydney up until today, uh, thankfully the sun stayed up there. So good track for Golden Eagle Day. So I think lean towards in secret. As you mentioned, I was very, very keen on her in the Golden Rose and I'm obviously in her corner today. But he beat me once and I've obviously got to be wary of him. I think it is a two-horse race. I, I don't think Cool and Gatterboard are not chess. Obviously their form looks good, but I think those two... I think the Golden Rose is clearly uh, the best piece of three-year-old form we've seen this season and those two look to be the, clearly the ones to beat in the Cornwall. We're, we're a funny bunch punters, aren't we? You, you talk about that, the Golden Rose. He's won it. He's beaten the favourite. He's then gone and run alongside the horse that we consider the best sprinter in the world. Uh, he was hitting the line very nicely, and we're trying to pot holes in his form. Well, I'm not. <laughs> some, some of us. I said some of us. We're a funny bunch, some of us punters. But it, it's it's strange how people do look at these sort of things and, and try and find a negative. I don't know whether it's just because they want to try and get a bit of price. Yeah, I think it's the old people start with the favourite and want to find knocks. It's either, it's either you work inside out or outside in, uh, depending on how you do your form. I'm inside out, so... For me, In Secret has had the perfect preparation. Uh, the tracks are ticked. James McDonald, James Cummings, what more do you want? And she's a better price than she was in the Golden Rose, and I'd say she's just as likely. I'll tell you what I want. What more I want is price. And one that I will have to throw up as well that I think is a, a reasonable gamble away from that too, and a absolute for quaddies is Best of Bordeaux, who backs up off a, what I reckon was a terrific effort last week in the Manicato. They went out way too hard. Um, and they collapse there, and his the margin looks big to Bella Nipotina, but that margin is um, that's unfair. He was he was better than that. He was better than the margin on the day. And since they've moved the Manicato to Cox Plate Week, it's um it's only thrown up a couple of horses into the Coolmore that have been anything like Best of Bordeaux in in terms of talent. One of them was Sunlight, who who ran seventh there and won, and one of them was Bivouac, who ran sixth, and then he got knocked off, but he ran a winning rating in the Coolmore. It, it took a big performance from Exceedance to beat him, and the, the performance Bivouac put up would have won just about every other Coolmore. So Best of Bordeaux brings a, a pretty... I think that can... You know, we're worried about Jack and O running in an Everest. I, I want my horses to run in fast races. I think running in fast races is good practice for running fast, um, and Best of Bordeaux did that last week. So I think he's... I thought it looked like a big four at the front rather than a, a big three. So I, I thought Best of Bordeaux fit in there really nicely. Beat Cool and Gatter home. You know, maybe we can be generous and, and, and say that she, you know, it was a brave effort from Cool and Gatter in the Golden Slipper. But there he is beating her home. He, he gave in secret a race. So I think he fits in with, as I said, a, a big four, Best of Bordeaux. And he's the one that the market's given no respect to whatsoever. Yeah, he's a $19 chance. I'll throw up one at big odds as well. Sajardin at $23. He, he ran well in those um, those better races. He ran in the Golden Rose. He was he was found wanting a little bit, but I think the straight's going to suit him as well. And only because yeah. he's $23, I think he's worth a little nibble. Well, he you knocked me off last week. He so. ran down sweet ride, Brad. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to bring it up. 
I'd be hanging over the fence, throwing rotten tomatoes at him, booing him onto the track. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. We were all on sweet rides. So that was um, that was glum. I I had fears for how Cox Plate Day was going to turn out after that, but fortunately, Animo and Barclay Square they they did the right thing by us. Uh, we, that's a, a wrap of the first of the two of the three Group Ones at Flemington. We'll take a break now. We'll come back on the other side and we'll have a look at the Empire Rose. Uh, the one other Group One we need to talk about at Flemington is the Empire Rose Stakes. Now this is pretty much all about La Creek. She's the one that. We've been hearing about all week. She's been dominant over in New Zealand. Well, she was last uh, start at least. And this is one where we do need the ratings guys to uh, cast their opinion over it because you can look at races on TV and horses can look brilliant, but it's not necessarily backed up figures-wise. That's why I was uh, inclined to have a chat to you during the week, Adam, to try and put Lark Creek's performances into perspective. And you did that quite nicely. And what you did... He's convinced me that she's the horse to beat today. How did uh, just just recount the chat that we had during the week uh, with you trying to um, put her performances into perspective? Yeah, well, she, I mean, put simply, she has a rating that is better than what it typically takes to win the Empire Rose. That's what she did last start. So you're right, it, it looked it looked good and, and the rating came out every bit as good as it looked and the time was good. And, and in the past, last season, she ran... Um, she was a deep odds on favourite and, and unfortunately beaten in the derby over there. But she she posted massive sectionals in the in the Avondale Guineas, which is historically a fantastic race over there. Which she she won both her trials leading into the the derby by by a space and and both times the clock was kind. So there's been plenty of clues that she um she can really run. And then yeah, last start put it all together. So she's a, probably the most interesting runner, isn't she, on on Derby Day because she's she's sitting there in one of these big Group Ones, a Group One that is traditionally a a bit of a raffle, to be honest, and traditionally wide open, plenty of 20-to-1 winners of the Empire Rose over the years. So um, here it is, smack bang in the middle of the card, and there's a 5-to-4 shot. That seems plenty short enough, but at the same time, it is a. I think it is simple enough to say if she does what she did last start, she will win. They won't be able to beat her. The only one who can really get close to her ratings-wise is Ice Bath, and she might have just gone off the boil a little bit, Ice Bath. So once again, we go back to our man in Sydney for the uh, Ice Bath update. <laughs> it's interesting with Ice Bath. We actually haven't seen her on a seven-day backup uh, at all, uh, this preparation. That's sort of been the key uh, to her best performances in these races. So we finally get to see it. So whether or not that is going to spark a peak performance um, will we'll be seen. But I found it interesting that that's always been the key to her, her whole campaign. And now we finally see her on that seven-day turnaround. So I could concede if some people wanted to push her claims in this race. I think Yearning's the one that, thank God, she drew out because uh, inside draw last start was horrendous for her. So Did if there is going to be... Well, she has. <laughs> Which time? Yeah, yes, <laughs> several times. <laughs> I think that's a big pointer for her with Yearning. She's drawn out. If you need a sort of the knockout in the quaddy, she's only fourth pick in the market, so it's not like she's a big roughie, but I think she is flying and... With La Creek, the beauty of that is I can rely solely on Adam's ratings in New Zealand, and if she's not good enough, well, I can blame Adam. So this is an easy win for me. <laughs> Righto. So I think we're all with La Creek. I'm bang on uh, with you uh, with Ice Bath on the backup. She did it last year, and she nearly won the Cantala. So um, it is a good formula for her if you're looking at something that you might want to back um, each way um, at a bigger price, but uh, we're all on the La Creek bandwagon. What we have to do now is um, turn our attention north. We'll have a look at the Golden Rose. What a race we have got here. I've never seen anything like it. 
20 horses to go around uh, in at Rose Hill over the 1,500 metres in Sydney, and we've got a horse that is ever-shortening, and just listening to you guys in the punter's preamble during the week, that's not a huge shock, light infantry, Simon. No, definitely not. He split two legitimate superstars, and if racing was as simple as him just turning up and running that rating, well, he wins. Um, you've got to drop him into another country, stepping out on debut for a new stable, but I'm not too concerned with that. They're very good at what they do. And in terms of opposition, they don't have ratings anywhere near uh, what he produced in his last start when we've seen him. The only niggle uh, that we did touch on with the previous show for Light Infantry was his last start SP. If he was hard in the market in that Group 1, and Adam will be happy to wax lyrical about just how strong that French Group mile race is, uh, you'd be very, very keen on his chances. The big one for me... Now we are onto a good track and Adam and I often talk about horses being anchored by early prices and I certainly think that's the case with Fangirl. Uh, $17 is wrong. She has put up better form than Chain of Lightning and her first up effort behind Animo was awesome. Uh, when closing off on Animo, she went round 650 in the George Main at her next start and I think that's a fairer price as to what she should be in the Golden Eagle. This isn't easier than the George Main. I think winning the George Main... What Animo produced winning that day is will comfortably win the Golden Eagles. So for her to start 6.50 in that race, and I'm happy just to put the wet tracks down to her two uh, mediocre performances since. She's been kept fresh. Uh, the Epsom Colding used this race going on to win the Golden Eagle the first year. Loved her trial at Warwick Farm. Hugh Bowman rides. The wide draw is the knock, but geez, you're getting a price uh, to find out. She's a better horse than him. She's better than Gypsy Goddess. I thought I wish I win was found out in the Turak. And in the Congo was beat by Rocketing by last start. So I, I can't understand how she's not priced inside those horses. Chain of Lightning hits it on the up, admittedly, but we get to see her on a firm track for the first time uh, this time in. Rapid rise uh, for her all the way through, but whether she can keep making that jumps, I'm not too sure. So Fangirl, a very, very easy bet to have, and I'll be backing light infantry. So two-bet race for me and very easy. What about you, Adam? You're our international expert, uh, Light Infantry's prospects. Uh, strong, yep. Uh, he's as he, second in the Jacques Lemarois last start. That's, I'd make a case that's the best mile race in Europe on turf. It might be the best mile race in the world. Um, and he's run second there, and they've run, I could only find Goldacova and Moonlight Cloud having won that race in faster overall time. Now, that has a lot to do with the conditions, obviously, which were very fast this year. They had a hot, dry summer in France, but... Um, yeah, you, you just can't get involved in those races without being high class. So he's got a stronger rating, comes across with a stronger rating than El Bodegon brought to the Cox Plate last week. Um, we saw him take a step forward and, and measure right up in, in that Cox Plate. So this is not going to take anywhere near the winning that the, the Cox Plate took. So it, it does have a little bit of a uh, if he travels, he wins feel about it, even though we're dealing with such a, a big field. And I think my view there was only strengthened by finding Chain of Lightning in the market. And I'll ask you, Brad, for... Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting lost here and, and trying to pigeonhole her too much. But Chain of Lightning, to me, turning up here at $6 just seemed completely bizarre. I didn't even have her on the radar as being a Golden Eagle horse. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm told that she's not only in, but she's second pick and, and $6. I was baffled. I hate the barrier for her. I don't think um, that inside draw is going to be any advantage at all. I can just see her finding trouble because um, she's not going to lead. She's going to be posied in behind them. Looking for luck. Speed map wise, where are we going to see light infantry in the run? Because that's the niggle for me as well. We don't ever see 20 horses go around over 1500 metres. Jamie Spencer, 
limited experience at, at Rose Hill. What's, what's going to happen with light infantry once they jump? I would assume that they would want to hold a spot without bustling. And I, I mean, Jamie Spencer is not a bustling kind of guy. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's famously very chilly. Um, but I don't think they'll want to be conceding too much. There's a lot of horses here and they won't want to be behind a stack of them. They won't want to be doing that. I would, I would not imagine. So, um, I would have thought that they are looking for the dream run that everyone's looking for, to be honest. So he, he'll want to be a perfect world, one out, one back, but presumably he'll just want to be stalking forward of midfield somewhere. Yeah, I wish I win for me. I don't mind the wide draw for you. Hopefully he can just blend into the race. Don't think it's a 1,600-metre horse. 1,500 metres is perfect, so hopefully Luke Nolan can get the right run there on I wish I win. Just a quick one from you, Simon, on the sprint race up there. Lost and running. Many think he's one of the better bets of the day. Do you agree with that? It's interesting that a lot of people are labelling as the best bet, and I sort of was uh, during the week, because I think it's easy to pot the second and third pick in the market. So Marzu gets the synthetic hoof filler, and we see him on a dry track, so that's a massive negative for me. And Private Eye looks absolutely cast from that draw. He's going to go likely back to last, which Rose Hill, good track, 1,300. That's gross. And then you've got Eduardo. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go back to last. We know he doesn't listen. (laughs) <laughs> and then you, you've got Eduardo, who's coming off his worst performance in a couple of seasons. Uh, so it's very easy to mark Lawson running a clear favourite in this race. But I, to be honest, I didn't really like his trial and he is off a setback and you're taking short prices. Eduardo beat him in this race last year and I reckon Joe Pride would have taken a lot of hurt by people saying that he sacrificed him for private eye in the Everest. And he's four from five at Rose Hill, Eduardo. And the fact he's lining up suggests there's nothing wrong with him. And Nash will just find the front comfortably. Mazu, first time at the trip, they won't want to press. And then you've got Weona Smart One, who they're racing for so much prize money, they'll just want to stick on. So I, I reckon Eduardo's going to get an easy time in front here, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him do what he did last year. Oh, beautiful. Well, time is on the fly. We're nearing in on 10 o'clock. You said Fangirl is a fantastic bet in the Golden Eagle. What's your best bet for the day up there in Sydney? Yeah, in the last, Brad, Democracy Manifest, I think he, his run at Warwick Farm was a lot better than it looked. He had to be fencing run, he came wide, uh, third up, gun run for Hugh Bowman. And I do have one on Tuesday, the real big dance in Sydney, not the one at Flemington. And Cisco Bay is $17. That is the best each way bet I've seen this carnival. That is unbelievable. Best last 200 metres of the day on Everest Day, Cisco Bay at the end of a mile. That horse is absolutely airborne, and he's thrown in at the weights. I thought it was a five, six dollar chance, and they're betting seventeen dollars. So I know it's on Tuesday, but I will be getting on now. Well, hopefully we can build the bank today for Big Dance Day on Tuesday. Best for you, Adam, today at Flemington, and also a quick cup tip. Uh, I am. I think I'm probably leaning Gold Trip in the cup, but there's work to be done there still. That's for sure. Um, and best for me today is Barclay Square. I think he'll win the Derby. Beautiful. Barclay Square for Adam. I'm sharp and smart in the Derby. Best for the day, Waterford for me in Sydney. Ran well in the Silver, or ran in the Silver Eagle as a $6 chance. Goes around in a benchmark 78 today. Gets back to good ground. Very keen on it. And Gravina each way the value play at Flemington. That's been the Racing and Sports Rundown for Derby Day. Looking forward to getting out there. We'll have uh, all the team on the other side having the build-up to one of the biggest days of the year.